Hey y'all, it's time to take a brew break. I'm Keela from Keela D Subcreation, sharing my favorite stories 11 points at a time. You can look forward to English major insights, fangirl freakouts, and biblical tidbits as I dive deep into fiction and nonfiction stories in any form. Now grab a brew and join me for 11Zs. Hey everyone, welcome back to 11Zs. We are here with our very first storytime episode. And so that means I'm going to be interviewing one of my friends to just share their story because we don't just love fictional stories around here. We love all stories. And so I'm very excited to introduce her to you. Her name is Janai Amon. We met through Twitter. We are in a we were in a Twitter Christian writing group type situation and have just become connected over social media, even though we actually live in the same state. So we probably could have seen each other in person. Yeah. So yeah, you're here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we officially get started? Yeah. So I, yeah, I've met a lot of people over Instagram and uh, Twitter, but, and that really wasn't by like, I guess it was intentional. That was never something I ever envisioned I would do. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up in the 90s and the internet was kind of coming of age and like your parents are always telling you like, don't meet people on the internet. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I feel like yep. that's all I did during <laughs> 2021 is like meet new people and make yeah. new friends and like fly and actually visit some of them and meet some of them in real life. But yeah, we could totally meet up one day. Uh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I mean, now currently I just, you know, write on I write, on, I write on pretty hard topics that are all related to faith-based, in the faith-based world. And it, it, it all kind of aligns with something as, you know, complex as spiritual abuse to religious trauma. And I mean, some people would call it church hurt or church wounds or church harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and really that was just because that was the world that I was coming out of, or I, I I came into the world and I have had to make sense of this new world that I'm in. And so, uh, and, and build community and find community. And that's really why I came to Instagram and Twitter, both to build community and to write on these topics and to find other people writing on not necessarily like Christian belief, but like, what does it mean to have a beautiful faith? Yeah. Um, and why didn't I experience that? And so I really wanted to find that and find my faith again. And so that's kind of the world I live in both on Twitter and Instagram. So, cool. and that's how I found you. I know. I'm glad we got connected. It is really cool. Pretty much the people that I talk to outside of my family are strangers I met on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, totally. It. It's great. <laughs> All right. So this is a special kind of episode we haven't done yet. So Forgive us if it's a little clunky, awkward, whatever. It's fine um, because I normally have a list of 11 or 11 points. I'm going to have 11. By the way, your coffee mug. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I just saw it. <laughs> that is so cute. Y'all, I it's know. like a stegosaurus and the head is the handle. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. totally not practical, but I it's it's become my tea mug. I love um, that. I love that. But yeah, he's cute. That's I like him. Amazing. Okay. So yeah, I have 11 questions we're going to get through, um, but mostly I'm just wanting to hear your story. So first question, it ties in perfectly with the coffee mug. What is your 11Z's beverage today? What are you drinking? So, uh, I mean, it's like, you know, an afternoon time and I'm at the age where I can't drink coffee in the afternoon, but I still need some sort of pick me up. So it's a, it's, it's like a, the Twinings, like English breakfast tea, which I know I, I'm so I've never been a tea person, but it's uh-huh. been like uh my new like, hey, I'm in my 30s and I'm exploring <laughs> other things. I love it. I'm exploring tea. Yes. Um yeah, I so it's like my afternoon caffeine pick me up. Nice. Do you mix anything in it? Yeah, I put it, I mean, I am like forever like anything sweeter the better it, mm. for me. So I always put like stevia in it or sometimes honey, but usually stevia. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. Honey just doesn't hit the same way, (laughs) Mm -mm. but that's awesome. Yes. I have, uh, the perfect concoction from McAllister's. I used to work there. So let me tell you, I've done the tests and this is the perfect thing. You order sweet tea and you drink it till about this point. And then a little more than halfway. And then when you are leaving and you get a refill, you ask for strawberry lemonade to top it off. That's awesome. Sweet strawberry Arnold Palmer is where it's at. 
So I used to work, this was like, you know, a decade plus ago. Mm -hmm. I used to work at, I was a waitress at Chili's for nice. like three, three months. Yeah. And whenever I had downtime, I would mix drinks <laughs> like at the do? soda fountain. Yeah. Um, but we had like a blackberry syrup. And so I found that like my new Chili's drink was Sprite with blackberry syrup. And that sounds so good. It's great. I don't know what it's called, but that's what I, I mean, you know, that's what I found whenever yeah. I had downtime and that's I'm what I would drink. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've ordered that at Sonic before. I love oh, any sort of berry syrup goodness. Yeah. It's perfect. Oh yeah. That's awesome. All right. So next question is the big one. Tell me your story just in any length or form or uh, way that you'd like to. Yeah, I'll probably, I feel like now I have been a more seasoned storyteller with my story. Um, mm -hmm. It's less like Leslie Nope. Let me go back to like the battle of the 1800s and the story <laughs> of Pawnee. So yeah. I mean, I'll kind of like, I'll preface and say, um, so obviously I'm a Christian writer and that's the world that I want to live in. And I try to live in and I, the world I, I am focused on, um, you know, writing and ministering to, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't raised in an evangelical home. I was totally born and bred in the, the Texas South where Bible culture is totally, it, it is the, the Bible belt for sure. Um, but for whatever reason, um, my, you know, my dad had left the faith a long time ago before I had arrived on the scene. And so my home was a mix of, um, you know, I had an agnostic or, you know, atheistic dad who vacillated, I guess. And then a mom who actually immigrated from the Philippines in the eighties. And so Filipino culture is really like uh, Catholicism is like the thing. And so I was baptized Catholic, but really had no functioning faith system mm -hmm. or like system of belief until, um, I was, I came to faith when I was 17. And so 17, you know, I hit the ground running and the church became like my community. Um, and I lived into that pretty, I I'm such a relational and communal person that it, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is what I was, this was what I was made for was yeah. to be in this community. And then eventually started dating my husband and we got married and uh, we moved from our small town in Texas to Houston. And in Houston, we were connected to a pastor who was ministering to like a young adult youth um, ministry. And this was in our early twenties. I, I would say I was 20. Um, and he was thinking about planting a church and this is, I guess, 2009. So kind of in this season where, you know, the reformed church planting movement was behind, like it was becoming the thing yeah. and we got swept away um, with that. And we lived in that. And I would essentially say that I was in ministry for like the entire time uh, we helped plant that church and we stayed there for 11 years. Um, and then the last three years I was on staff where I saw kind of the darker underbelly of vocational ministry. And it was in those last three years where I was really hurt, really wounded, um, saw a lot of conflict and tension that was always labeled as conflict and tension. And sometimes it truly was. And sometimes it was really dysfunctional and toxic, yeah. but it was always just kind of cast aside as, you know, relational conflict. Um, and eventually that led to uh, me advocating for myself in a variety of ways while I was on staff in a reformed conservative context as an evangelical woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I started advocating for, you know, having some breathing room in the work that I was doing and being heard. That was really the biggest thing was just not being heard um, with brothers who I'd known for most of them had I'd known for a decade mm -hmm. and they just weren't hearing me. And eventually the, conflict and the dysfunction kind of boiled over into toxicity. And, um, I was eventually like terminated from that church in 2020. And since then I kind of embarked on a journey of like trying to figure out what happened. I guess it's like becoming Sherlock and like almost 
deducting like what happened here yeah. like what putting the pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. for a long time I th- I really thought it was my fault I really thought I, I should have been you know more submissive or I should have fallen in line and I realized no like what I really advocated for was my personhood and my worth in the Lord that wasn't being acknowledged by my brothers and so uh, through resources and reading um, and connecting with other people and other people with the same story or a similar, very adjacent story, I realized over time that it wasn't just conflict and dysfunction that I had experienced, but a lot of it was spiritually abusive and manipulative coercion, um, really damaging. It took away agency. It took away um, personal worth and it dehumanized. And so since then, I have kind of had to get my feet wet in the, the, the writing world, because this is not a world that I thought I would ever live in or, uh, experience or yeah, I don't know. So I've had to like figure out like, how do you write? And a lot of the things I read just said, just do it. And I think one thing that I've heard from a lot of people is that a lot of them write as a form of healing. That's really what I did was I was writing to heal, to make sense. I mean, essentially that's, you know, that's the Psalms, like a writing, um, as a form of like getting the emotions out and like letting myself grieve and letting myself mourn. And through that, I've started just kind of come on into my own as like realizing this is my ministry. Like I grieved the loss of ministry whenever we left that church and realizing through my writing and through the fact that it resonated with so many people that this was the new ministry that the Lord had given me. And that's kind of what I'm living into and trying to work in faithfully every day. So yeah, that's kind of, that's the, I guess that's the cliff notes version that I can mm-hmm. give you that doesn't like uh, word vomit every single thing that ever happened in my life. But yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I know you've been telling the story a lot. Can you give us just one instance or example, like specific thing that happened during this time that led you, you know, to where you are now? Yeah. So it was really, uh, towards the end, uh, of my time on staff was when it was the most, like most dysfunctional, most harmful. So, um, about three months or so before I was given severance options and like, there was also no form, like no form of HR process. So like, you know, a lot of churches don't have an HR process where you can actually formally lodge a concern or a complaint against Um, your boss who is maybe domineering or enacting or acting in certain ways. And so I I, essentially, I was the HR department, but I, I mean, I couldn't complain about what I was experiencing to me exactly um, because our church staff was like, I mean, six, seven people max. And so I was the HR department and then like, I, but I had no, no one to appeal my concerns to. And all of my concerns had been it's hard whenever you raise a concern that a leader perceives as like a leader, like you're complaining about their leadership when really I was just complaining about the job itself. But, you know, they, it it depends on how someone views their leadership. And if they view it as like, you have to do what I say. And I come back as like, this is not feasible. Then they perceive it as like, you know, a threat to their identity. So Mm -hmm. yeah, one instance in particular was, something at some point I started kind of building in boundaries of like, I can do this and I can't do this. Um, I can't do this in the time frame that you would want me to do. Like that's not feasible. And so I started exercising more of that. Like I can't do this. Um, normally I was totally a yes person. And so I had to exercise the boundaries. And, um, at one point I said, no, I can't do this over the time frame that you're wanting to do it. And not only can't I do it like immediately, but like, I think the impact that you're wanting, it was in, in terms of a communication that they wanted to make. And I was just kind of elaborating as like one of the communication or as the communications person, you know, this is why I don't think that that's wise. Mm-hmm. And my pastor came back to me with, you know, if this communication doesn't go well, the funding for our capital campaign won't go well. And if it, that doesn't go well, then I'm going to have to terminate someone. And so in a, at first glance, you're like, wow, that's a logical train of thought, but also what he was doing. And in the context of the, 
the ongoing conflict and tension and steamrolling and mm-hmm. domineering that I had experienced for almost two and a half years at this point, it was really manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, my pastor was telling me, you know, if you don't do this, um, someone's going to have to get fired. And if someone gets fired, it's your fault. And so I made the communication changes. It was something for social media or something. Um, and I made those changes and like our, you know, funding and our communication and our giving campaign went really well. And he never, he never told me, I, I never like, Hey, thank you for doing that. There was no follow-up, uh, yeah. no kind of like smoothing over the relationship and not even an acknowledgement of like, Hey, thank you for doing that. I actually don't have to fire anyone because this actually went really well. It was like totally unacknowledged. And at that point in my job, I was drowning and eventually started to speak up. And it was my starting to speak up and starting to name things that ended up getting me ousted. And so, yeah, it was really rough. It was, it's, and I think a lot of people from what I've gathered kind of resonate with, there was never, um, there was some overt yelling on the staff with our church staff, but with that particular man, he was never overt, but intimidation of all its forms, like they aren't all, acts of intimidation aren't all yelling. And um, yeah, definitely. I've learned that there's spiritual abuse is far more nuanced and complex. And I realize there's a lot of wounded sheep in the flock and in the body of Christ who mm-hmm. sometimes decide to leave um, because no one has taken the time to understand what's going on in on our church staffs, in our church congregations, and within our leadership. So that that's a lot of like the writing and the advocacy work that I do. For sure, for sure. So you experienced this trauma, this crisis for like three years until it hit a breaking point in 2020 how did you decide that you wanted to start sharing your story? Did you just start writing for yourself and then like as a healing process and then decide to share with the world or like, what was your thinking behind that? Um, well, it was kind of a multi-step process at the get in the beginning. It was definitely for my healing. And I, um, I was very sensitive to the idea that my story contains other, like it, other human beings who are also made in the image of God. And so when I started writing in the beginning, I started writing about like, this is what I felt. And this is what I experienced. This was real for me. Um, and this is how it's been unacknowledged. And so I, it was really just a me centered perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I read a few resources. One of those resources is a book called uh, a church called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Behringer. And in their book, they, they essentially started talking about how there are a lot of, a lot of church stories and scandals and stuff coming to light currently now. And historically in the last several years where someone kind of blows the whistle and sounds the alarm on something that's going on in a ministry or in an organization. And a lot of people are either ostracized or cast out or not listened to or called crazy or they, they're just called hurt and bitter and they're dismissed. Mm-hmm. And in this book, it says really those initial whistleblowers are the, the prophets that are like calling the body of Christ to account saying like, this was real and this is really happening and this is really damaging. And so at some point I made the switch in um, not just talking about how I felt but then moving toward like, this is what's happening in the culture. Mm-hmm. And only recently, I would say as recent as like the end of 2021, that's when I really started like telling specifics of my story. And that, that was a mindful decision. I had not told very many specifics of the story before that, I guess, because I was scared, scared about like, well, if I tell this story, will actually, like, will people see like she is she is crazy. She is crazy. And she just doesn't see it. And we all see it. And she doesn't. And so I kept quiet for a long time. And then a few trusted people in my life who knew the story and who knew what I was writing. And and then my, also I have a creative coach that I work with. He said, you know, everyone knows what you're moving toward. You're moving toward like a more beautiful faith, a more good like articulation of what it means to be a faithful 
person in the body of Christ, but no one knows what you're moving away from. And I realized in that moment that he was right. Like a lot of what I was writing um, was me still pandering to an audience, hoping that I would sell them this idea of like, Hey, this is what, this is what I experienced. Like, can you believe me? Do you buy this? And I realized I was still pandering to an audience that had already disposed of me and had already like rejected me. And so I wanted to tell other people that I was ministering to, like, this is what I'm moving away from. And in doing that, like other people were able to say like, yes, I'm moving away from that too. And yeah, so that it's helped me to realize like what I felt like a proper grasp of my emotions. It helps me to see where I am in the grander narrative. And like, it helps me to see myself as, you know, uh, Nathan to, um, the Davids of the world. And like, you know, Nathan was the guy that called out David after he had just abused and mistreated people. And I wanted to live into that. Like, I didn't want to sit back and be quiet about what I experienced because I didn't want it happening to anyone else. And I don't want it happening within the church, um, by and large, but, uh, I just had a fire in my belly to prevent this from happening again. And the only weapon I had at my disposal to advocate was, you know, my keyboard or my phone. And so I worked with whatever I had in front of me, which was, you know, my own technology. So. Yeah. So why do you think it's important to share your story as opposed to just, I mean, I think there is benefit in just writing for yourself through the healing and everything, but what makes sharing your story a little bit better. Actually, I just read a book. It was a book by a friend. Her name's KJ Ramsey. Yes. And yes, she wrote a book called this too shall last. It's on my list. Oh, it's so good. I think it came out in 2020 and I had, I had been saving it to like read at the perfect time. I don't know if anyone else does that, but I feel like I save books. Like I have a bunch of books sitting on my bookshelf and I like, whenever I go to read, I'm like, which one should I read today? And then there's certain ones that I really want to read and I can tell that it's just not time. And recently I just found out like this, it's the time, it's time for me to read KJ's book now. So I just finished it and she had a a section in there. Um, She talks about like how your brain works and how your brain like operates in terms of like experiencing suffering or trauma and what happens when you're, you're healing, like being healed. And in one section of her book, she talks about like when you're heard and when your story is heard, your brain is actually rewiring in such a way that like your healing is fostered and, and, and like it moves forward. And I would totally attest to that. I, I remember keeping my story secret for so long, even from people that knew me or had known me for a decade. And keeping it quiet because I thought like my story is damaging and yeah, my story would have, would have cast a light on the damage that other people had done. But I realized telling my story isn't damaging. The fact that what happened to me was damaging. Mm -hmm. And so to help repair the ruins and to help undo the damage, I needed to learn like to tell my story, not only tell my story, but to realign my story with the greater like biblical story, you know, like the people of Israel had to leave one place to go into a land of greater promise. And Mm -hmm. I had, had seen myself, like I had my own exodus and I experienced, am experiencing my own wilderness and what it means to move toward a land of promise. And so it's, articulating my story has helped me see like where God is specifically moving in bits and pieces of my story and how like not only the telling of the story is healing, but how God is ministering to me in my like broken heart by like having the personal presence of someone else, like incarnate, like God with us, like hear the story. It's, it's so incredibly healing all that to say, like, I, I, always advocate that people only tell their story when they feel safe, Mm -hmm. because I know that so many people feel so unsafe about telling their story. And I think like all you would need to do is to pray and seek the Lord for wisdom on when you tell your story. Um, 
yeah, so that's, that's like my encouragement, but also like extending gentleness to people, to people who aren't quite ready to tell their story. Oh yeah, definitely. So what good things and what bad things have you seen happen in response to you sharing your story? Oh gosh. Um, well, it's, it's kind of like when you name a thing, uh, it becomes real. So like when Jesus entered his ministry and he started naming himself as the son of God, like things got real, real quick. Yeah. And, and even in his hometown, like of Nazareth, people tried to throw him off a cliff. So when you start naming things, it's risky. Sure. When you start naming like who you are and your story and like where that story is taking you, people may take offense to it. So the, the risky part is just uncovering sin that others don't want uncovered. Like they, the sin, like evil festers in the darkness. It's like keeping a, you know, bad bandaid over a festering wound. Like you have to change the bandage. You need to triage the wound. It needs disinfectant. It needs sunlight. It needs all sorts of things to heal. Um, So telling the story allows for that healing. But because, you know, evil is involved and like wickedness does not want to be exposed, there are people and who will, and and there are mechanisms for those people to cope with what's being exposed. And sometimes that, that can come in the form of, you know, being labeled, like you're a slanderer, you're a gossip, you're a, you know, whatever, you're abrasive, you're harsh, you're bitter, you're insubordinate. And those are words that are used to like, and if they're true, then you need to allow the truth. Like I, I need to allow the truth to examine me, but if I'm speaking the truth and I need to allow that truth to examine others as well. And some people don't want to be examined. And so there's a real cost of relational. I mean, obviously like I'm not in a real wilderness, like we're in the lush Houston, Texas area where the humidity is normally at a hundred percent every single day of the year. But, um, my wilderness has been relational. And so the risk of telling the truth and telling your story is to be further cast into that relational wilderness. Um, but I've learned that when you're in the wilderness, like that's where the Lord meets you and, you find others walking that wilderness as well. So yeah. Okay. So despite being hurt by the church and having gone through this whole trauma, you're still talking about Jesus. You still have strong faith. And so I'm curious, how does the story of Jesus impact your own story, but also how did what you went through like change or uh, just how did it affect how you see Christ? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're beings that change. And so I realized that a lot of the men that had taken so much time and, or I've allowed so much time to shape my um, belief system and my doctrine and theology, I like, I attributed a lot of the abuse and a lot of the mistreatment to, you know, like Jesus as well, because these men in positional power were the ones that that hurt me. And so I thought, how does, how is Christ involved in all of this? And I really think I've always done a lot of like personal Bible study time. Like, like I got pretty intellectual and like deep into expositional Bible reading and study and hermeneutic, hermeneutical study. And so I, at some point I stopped myself and I like tried to think about like, did Jesus relish and enjoy or did he approve of what I was subjected to? And based on like his life and his work and his ministry, and based on what the scriptures in the old Testament pointed to in the person and work of Christ and what, you know, the Pauline letters testified to how the church was to be formed. I realized, no, like what I was subjected to was outside of the gospel and not because of the gospel. And so in, whenever I was, whenever I was able to untangle Christ from the abuse, I realized um, he's still for me. And 
Like I still have access to my savior and to my Messiah. Like I, I do not have to ascribe to a certain local church's extra biblical standards Mm -hmm. to be in communion with Jesus. And that was a journey. Like, I, I mean, I can sit here and confidently say that to you now. Um, You know, if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, my answer would have been far more muddled. And I'd I'd probably be just weeping and crying instead of like actually articulating the experience. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was through realizing, like, how do I see myself in light of creation? You know, God made man and woman, and he said they were very good. And I while, you know, we're sinful and we do like anyone is capable of doing these horrible things to other people. I know that I'm, I've still got goodness in me. And not only that, like I know, and I like trust that there's goodness still in the brothers who hurt me, but I know that that wasn't it. And I don't need to subject to, you know, being scapegoated as like, I, I am still beloved by the Lord and like seeing how beloved I am through, you know, some people are called to leave, leave a place where they were mistreated like the Israelites were. And I saw myself in the people of God. Then I see myself in the Psalms, like with, I mean, the Psalms are pretty emotional. Like there's a several of them where there's like no happy ending and lots of like tears and weeping and tearing um, your clothes and like sackcloth and ashes. Um, the story of Job, I saw myself in the story of Job. Um, I see myself in the people in exile into, you know, Babylon and like hoping that one day they would get to rebuild the temple so that the Lord could dwell among them and realizing like, while I am, you know, geographically distant from the local church building that I used to be a part of that I remember that I am still uh, a temple in which the living savior dwells in. And so like, while I am exiled or while I'm in this wilderness, like the whole, like, like the inner heart of my being is where, uh, the spirit of God dwells. And like, just seeing myself and remembering that in bits and pieces of the story have been super encouraging. And it has reminded me of my worth and, and not only that, but what I'm moving toward is, you know, the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem where, you know, tears will one day be no more and there will be no more sorrow and there will be joy and dancing. Like I want to move toward that. And if I can, I want to put shadows of that here on earth and to instill hope that that's where we're going one day. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's really how I've seen myself and how I've like found out who am I Mm -hmm. apart from this community that tossed me out and I'm still beloved. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like you are already cultivating a new community um, that you're finding much healthier, safer community, even if it's outside of a church building. And so in these connections that you're making, um, whether in person or online, like we met, has there been a story that has inspired or impacted you, whether because it was similar to yours or just encouraging in another way? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think I've received so many stories. And I think that's by, by virtue of whenever you start speaking out, like I, someone else started speaking out, um, a few months she had, it was another writer who had written about her experience in a similar church in a similar, in in the same network where my church was launched. And she wrote about her experience and I saw myself in her story. And so I reached out to her because I was like, I think you're safe. And I think you'll believe me. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing started happening whenever I started articulating my story. Other people were privately messaging me and saying, you know, I think you're safe and I see myself in your story and I want to tell you my story. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, there's several that I wish I could um, like even just read for you, but like, I mean, I've gotten several emails just today from people on my website who have said, you know, like I wanted to reach out and say, your writing resonates with me so much. Like I, I want to keep my faith in the Lord and I want to see myself in light of this grander biblical story, but it's, it's so hard to 
to go to the Bible because it was used against me. Yeah. And in that moment, I can say, I absolutely understand. And I, I have no band-aid solution. I, I can't fix it for them. But I think it's like what KJ said in her book, being heard like rewires our brain and it fosters healing. And so what I can do is I can just sit there and hear their story. And I, there's so many stories. I mean, I had a pastor um, message me just yesterday about how he had read a lot of my writing. He had actually listened to my story on another podcast. And he said he's, he, he believed me for one, which is so kind when people extend that to me, because I spent a very significant season of my life not not being believed. Um, But he said he's a pastor who said he believed me. And then he also told me, he's like, I, I saw that in my own church as well. And I, I did the hard and difficult thing. And my family decided to leave and we resigned. And he, I mean, I just, broke for him because I knew like in his decision to leave, it cost him too. Like he has no income for his family. He, Mm. he, and, and the fact that like, that he would reach out in this moment of despair that he and his family are personally experiencing and and encouraging me and giving me hope like that has been, you know, one of the, it's been like the thing that's filled up my tank of gas to give me the energy and the courage to do and say what I need to do and say every day. And so there's so many stories. I wish I could like, just uh, like even give you a number, but there's, it's hundreds at this point of people who've experienced the same thing. Yeah. Which is sad that they're experiencing it, but also probably good for you to realize you're not alone and that there are so many people that can come together through that. Oh yeah. And I, um, one of my hopes one day is to create like an online community, like a private online community where they can actually meet each other and share their stories without Mm -hmm. having to muster up the courage of sharing their story on a big public platform like Instagram or Twitter, because I don't think everyone is necessarily called to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I really like community is at the heart of like what I do. And that's really what I want to foster both for myself, but also for others. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any practical tips, habits, or routines that help you write your story or that help you live a better story? Yeah. So, I mean, I read this somewhere or maybe I heard it on another podcast, but the thing that's been in my in my, it's like the mantra in my head that helps direct everything that I do is let the truth examine me, Mm -hmm. Um, like speak the truth. If I'm to be a person of integrity, like I just say what I know the best way that I can. Well, that, and that's not to say that like another, another thing that I like kind of, it helps keep a compass on me is that I want to speak with hope because Mm -hmm. while I think the Lord does hold up place for our despair and our grief and our mourning. Um, It's never without hope or it never should be without hope. And so I want to point to hope, but that means some days I don't write because I can't muster a spirit of hope if I'm still grieving. And so I need to let myself grieve. Mm -hmm. And so if people are kind of sharing their stories, my practical piece of advice is to let yourself grieve and don't write out of a, a desire to vent. Yeah. That's a totally different thing. Venting is, is what I do in my car, like driving to the grocery store and like angry monologuing to myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that whenever I go to write later, I'm not angry monologuing to the people who are reading my words, because I don't think that that fosters wholeness or healing. I think that just perpetuates a broken system. So mm-hmm. If I want to point to wholeness, I have to make sure that I'm writing from a place of wholeness. And some days I don't feel whole. And other days, I think a practical piece of advice is like ruminating on the scriptures and actually like thinking about like different stories. So I I know the Bible is like, I, I know a lot of people approach it differently, but I approach it as story because that's what it is. It's a book filled with the stories of real life human beings, or at least I think that they're real life human beings. 
who have lived these lives of suffering and sorrow, but also joy and dancing. And so I have like tried to remember, even on the days that I can't read my Bible, like, you know, why did this parable, why does this parable strike me so, so differently today? And why does, you know, this Psalm touch my heart in a different way? And so I kind of write, I, I, as a Christian writer, ruminate on like the biblical story. I don't have to get down to the Greek word of whatever. I just read it as a story and I read it in different versions to see if the story resonates in a different version. And, um, that's another huge part of like my writing. I think reading is writing, like you've got to read to know what to write. And so, uh, a big part of my writing is reading the direction of other people, the other writers of hope. And I think, you know, some of the best writers of hope are in the scriptures. Um, and then, I mean, the most practical piece of advice I can give people is, you know, I use my phone so much and I text myself, like I actually open my messages app and I'll text myself. If I have, if I have an idea that I know I'm going to forget, if I don't do it right now, I will just text myself. And so you can actually go back through my messages and see like all these random things that I've texted myself. And then I'll try to like work, work that into my notes or something. But yeah, that's probably my most helpful, like pragmatic writing tip. So yeah. I love that. Do you actually write every single day? Do you have like a Uh, habit of doing it at the same time every day or? No, I, I'm trying to cultivate that. It's so difficult because like as a writer, I'm a writer, but I'm also like a wife and a mom. And so I'm kind of like the errand runner. And so while I'm, I do have disciplines at home where I, when I sit in front of my computer, you know, I, I turn on do not disturb on all my devices. So I don't get any notifications and I try to plan my day or I try to plan the week ahead by what days are writing days. Mm-hmm. And so I would almost prefer instead of writing for 30 minutes every morning, I would rather have like a huge chunk of time, a couple days a week, if I can do that, like instead of 30 minutes every day, I'd almost rather do like three or four hours for three days a week. And so that way I get to like get into the bowels of my idea and flesh it out. And then I also work on, I work on multiple ideas. So like whatever idea is really like really simmering in my brain. I try to focus on that because I think I have the words for that right now. So sometimes I'll be working on multiple pieces. Whereas I think, you know, maybe other people are more linear and they actually fulfill a whole piece. And I, I'm just not there. I'm just like, where, where is, and I think that's good. I think I, that allows space for like the spirit of God to like, tell me what to write, Mm -hmm. but I do need to discipline myself to sit down on the days that I plan to be writing days and, and just really get to the thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I do have a space. I always write in one space. It's my Mm -hmm. office. I tried to do the whole thing where I take my laptop and um, lay in my bed and try to write in bed and it never works because I just want to like put it aside and like do something silly. Um, Cause, and I also don't want to associate my like bed with work either. So I have Mm -hmm. to go to my office where I have to go to like a, a a desk sort of space to start cranking ideas out. So yeah, that's what I do. Cool. Good to know. Okay. So last three questions are kind of more chill, more easy, hopefully. Um, So is there someone that you would love to hear share their story on this podcast, whether it's a story similar to yours or completely different? Oh, I, um, oh, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. I would really love, oh, give me ideas. Give me ideas. I don't you know anyone, cut- anyone you follow on Instagram that you like their story or just like big, big dreams, like an author that you really love or. Oh my gosh. You know who would be great on your podcast? Sure. Who I think Karen Swallow Pryor, like Ooh. I know, but I mean, she's like a big ticket name. And so I don't know, like, I don't know if like how you can make that happen, but I would love, I just love everything that Karen, the way that, so Karen Swallow Pryor does a lot of like, um, like reading is a virtue. Like if you read, you can see the virtues and the goodness and the beauty of a life well lived, um, through the virtues of story and reading and particularly like 
for Karen Swallow Pryor in literature. And I love her articulation of like how virtue is made almost incarnate in the written word and through mm. literature. So I, I don't know. I feel like that would be a pretty killer name to, yeah. I would just like love to grab her coffee and ha- or tea and have her just talk. She can talk at me if she wants me. It didn't yeah. even need to be a conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably someone that I, I like gleaning a lot of wisdom from, and I'd love to just hear more of her story. So maybe one day we'll, we'll build up to that. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think you can. All right. What books, movies, or shows, so any kind of story in any form, have inspired you personally, creatively, and spiritually? Most recently, um, I read The Book of Longings. Have you read that? I have not. Oh my gosh. It is so good. So, I mean, I um, The Book of Longings is written by Sue Monk Kidd. And essentially, uh, it's so well-researched. It includes like the life and story of, I mean, it is a fictional, not real story mm-hmm. of Jesus um, of Nazareth and what would it have looked like if he were married, which I know to so many people in the South, that probably sounds heretical, <laughs> but it's just a different telling and a yeah. fictional story. And um in it, it's really not focused on Jesus himself. It's focused on like his fictional wife named Anna. And she talks about often, like, you know, she feels like she was made to write that there was a largeness inside of her and words that she wanted to write. She honestly wanted to tell the stories of women and the matriarchs of the Bible. And so she starts out as this girl of 14, who is writing the stories of the matriarchs that she knows of that her tutor has talked to her about. And that's like her whole goal and mission. But, you know, as a woman in the first century, um, you're not really encouraged to write or to be educated. And so she was married off Mm -hmm. or was going to be married off. And then it fell apart. And then she eventually married Jesus. And anyway, it's just kind of like this way that she like honors the stories of others. Um, and, And I mean, I think I saw myself. I saw myself in the book, not that I want to be married to Jesus because that's not true, (laughs) but I saw myself in Anna, the writer who wants to hold and keep and cherish these stories, but also write the words of her heart um, and be a voice. And so I, I really loved that book is probably, it's so early in 2022. And I just read it a few weeks ago as one of the first books of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm, I already kind of know that it's probably going to be like one of my top five favorite books wow. of the year. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident. I think I can say that even this early. Yeah. That's funny. What I always have a list of like my top books of the year and last year, the first book I read and the last book I've read both made top five. <laughs> that's so awesome. I, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you just know yourself and you know, like this is, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Is there anything that you want to add or reiterate from this conversation? No, I I think really it's just, I am not an expert in anything. I'm even not, I'm not even an expert writer. Like I just try to be faithful with what's in front of me. And I think that's the only thing we can ask people who are, whether you're a writer or a podcaster or a, a pastor or a mom or a librarian, whatever you are, is just to be faithful with what's in front of you. Um, and I just went through a really hard season where everything in front of me was taken away and I had to kind of refine my place in the world. And what was in front of me was my computer and my phone. And I thought like, you know, I, I don't have a ton of money to like create all these new initiatives or businesses or whatever. And I don't, I also don't have the energy or the stamina to do something like that, but I can minister to people with my presence and my, in my words. Yeah. And really that's all I want to do as a person. Like I don't have like this super qualified alphabet soup, PhD, MA and creative writing or anything like that. I'm just trying to do what I can with the wisdom I have. And I think that's, we can, that's all we can ask of, of anyone. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So where can we find you on social media, website, all the things, tell us what you're doing. 
Yeah. So I um, am, am usually the most lively on both Instagram and Twitter at Janai Amon. I don't know if you're going to put that in the show notes. Yes, I, I mean, will. it's super weird to spell. I know it's a strange name. Both of those names are not English. And uh, <laughs> when I grew up and I, all I wanted to be was Brittany <laughs> and like find my name on a mug. Oh, girl, at, me too. Like, I can't I, find like, mine either. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> I just wanted to be Brittany or Jennifer, but I was born Janai Almond. So that's, yeah. I mean, super tricky to spell. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Janai Almond. Um, I have a blog that I kind of keep up with intermittently that I hope to grow one day. Yeah. It's to till the soil.com. And then I just started a newsletter specifically uh, for people who have walked through seasons of trauma or spiritual trauma and religious trauma and spiritual abuse on Substack at janaiamen.substack.com. And um, it, that's really like a, just a, here's how I've started the process of healing through telling my story. But yeah, I'm around and I am always connecting with people. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be super famous because I feel like as an adult woman, I'm like, I still need supervision. I'm still eating like <laughs> all sorts of things like ramen noodles, yep. uh, Captain Crunch. Like I'm not like the wisest person that everyone should look to, but I, I feel like I'm trying to be kind and compassionate in the spaces that I cultivate online. So I'm always willing to connect and just be a friend to people that need friends. For sure. That's awesome. Um, but since you brought it up, I just have to say, I cannot believe you eat Captain Crunch like normal. I've never had it without the crunch berries. That is like my favorite cereal of all time, but having it without the berries, like what's the point? I actually, like, I actually just had Captain Crunch with the berries, crunch berries, like 30 minutes before this call. <laughs> I love that. I love like it. I just put it in like a little cup and I just eat it dry. Like, yeah, yeah. like it's a snack or a dessert. Um, it is. <laughs> it's the best thing. It is. Yeah. So very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on my first official guest on the podcast and for sharing your story here and on social media and your blog. And I just hope you continue to do that and see the fruits from that. So, well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me for 11 Z's. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review, subscribe, tune in each Thursday and tell your friends. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at KDSubcreations and check out my blog and other free content at the link in the description. Now go where you must go and hope.